In a world dominated by clickbait titles, shallow content, and a general posture of cynicism, is there still room for a winsome approach to content creation? This is the Digital Missions Podcast. Yo, welcome to the Digital Missions Podcast, where our goal is to help you reach your first million people with the gospel. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and here's the thing. You might feel exhausted when you open up your newsfeed, exhausted from the bickering and fighting, exhausted from the sensationalism, exhausted from the general aversion to building real connections with people. And if you are, know that you're not the only one. But there's some good news. I believe that there's a better way. My guest for today, I'll be honest, one of my favorite internet people out there, Matt Women, navigates the internet with a sense of humility and curiosity that very few people come close to match. His YouTube channel has over 23 million views, and that's not to mention the success that he's found through podcasting. Some of you already know, Matt is the host of the 10 Minute Bible Hour podcast and co-host to one of my favorite podcasts, No Dumb Questions. If you can't tell already, I'm very excited to host the one and only Matt Whitman. Matt, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Golly, man, that was a nice intro. That was pretty generous. Thanks, buddy. It's <laughs> I'm good glad to be that, here. I'm glad that you like it. I, I spent some time writing words on paper and I thought, man, you and I have a history that goes over a couple years. I want to adequately summarize in some ways, at least it's not adequate. I want to do my best to summarize the impact that you've had on me. And let's be real. There has been a very real impact that you have had on my life as a human being, my role as a father and husband who have navigated some of those challenges with you and have been a very meaningful mentor in the world of online ministry. So I'm quite excited to have you as my guest. I appreciate you, man. It's been fun being friends and it's certainly been to my benefit. It honors me that in front of other people, <laughs> you're telling me that it's been to yours as well. That's cool, man. Yeah, the origin story, a couple years back, this had to have been maybe 2017 or 18, I'm guessing, somewhere in that realm. I remember, because I was actually following your YouTube channel prior to this moment, but I remember watching one of your YouTube videos. It was probably something on reviewing Bible apps or Bible versions or something along those lines. And you shared a screen share of you navigating through a Bible app. And unbeknownst to me, this Bible app had apparently been using my YouTube videos for their own personal gain. And one of my videos showed up in your feed as a pop-up. And you're like, hey, I know that guy. I've seen his videos. I like him. I was like, oh my goodness, Matt Whitman knows who I am. And I just had this little <laughs> fangirl moment. I think I commented as much. And then we shortly after connected through email and eventually through phone. You ended up coming out in person to hang out. We played Star Fox together. You absolutely destroyed me. It was a fun time. It happens. I have <laughs> one skill that if I had to battle the devil for a golden fiddle, I would go with, and it is Star Fox 64 multiplayer. So I don't know what to tell you, man. You ran into a buzzsaw. For what it's worth, I think that your soul would be in good hands. I think your skills are up to task, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm confident of that. Um, but I want to talk to you about, and, and I just want to mention it to the audience, because you've got a, an incredible YouTube career ministry. I don't know all the words, but we're not going to be talking so much about YouTube, even though that's how we first met, and that is, to many people, I think, how they know you. Today, I want to talk to you about podcasting, because this is, in many ways, one of the, in certain respects, the forgotten type of online content given all the short form stuff and it's the least popular one given all the opportunities for growth and yet you have built something that's really substantial not just from a kingdom perspective but it also takes care of your family in many ways and so i want to talk to you about podcasting specifically if you don't mind uh, starting off in this general sentiment sentiment it, choosing to start a podcast is so backwards 
they're short form everything, TikTok, YouTube shorts, Instagram reels. And you were talking a bit before we hopped on comms where there's a, I don't know, maybe a, an exhausted sentiment when it comes to YouTube. Very few people get to experience what it, you're talking about rolling the dice or pulling the, the lottery arm kind of machine, whatever it's called, because the difference between a video that works and a video that doesn't is a huge difference. Can you talk to us about what that's and why it possibly led you to lean hundred percent into the world of podcasting in 2023? Yeah. To answer that question, I think I just got to talk shop a little bit about content creation in the last 10 years. I started making short films and comedy stuff on YouTube in the early 20 teens. And then I started working on the 10 minute Bible hour, which now it's just the channel is just my name now, but same thing in 2014, depending on how you count it, 12, 13 years I've been working on stuff like this <clears throat> and it, it has not been static. It's the whole arrangement has changed. The audience has changed. The technology has changed. We've gone through eras and I have a ton of friends, all of whom are so much more successful than, than I've ever been on YouTube. But it's really nice that I have this circle of friends because I can pick their brain and, and get data from them and provide any that might be useful from my modest channel. But things have changed. Financially, there was a motivation in the 20 teens to rush out into the great wide world of the internet and make an educational video that covers a given topic. And I think the internet would abide maybe five good videos on any given educational topic. Basically, every article on Wikipedia could justify or support five educational videos from whichever five creators got there first and made something even serviceable. So in that respect, what I think we are just getting done with is the gold rush age of YouTube where there's just, there's gold just sitting in the stream. It's right there on the surface. You can see veins of gold sticking out of the ground. Just go hit it with a hammer and you can have gold. Well, over time, all of that low hanging fruit, all of that easily available. Did you, have you ever seen a video about Tasmania? Tasmania is amazing. You can only do that so many times. And then all of that gold has been gobbled up and that's kind of it. And there was a big push, I think from, yeah, 2011-ish until about two years ago to do that. But then when all the obvious topics were gone, what's left? Because what had happened was everybody adopted, excuse me, I'm, I'm battling the very end of a cough. I, I, it might sound like I'm crying at times. I'm actually feeling incredibly emotionally stable this evening, but I, <laughs> I'm glad I to battle hear it. it. Yeah. Then what happened was you started to see the educational stuff taper off and you started to see the financial motivation behind sensationalism taper up. And I would call that the Mr. Beastification of the, of YouTube. I think that era is almost over. It's just about done. But what that means is nobody knows what happens next, what the next gold rush is, what everybody's going to do next. And <clears throat> right now I feel like video content creation on the internet is, it's not in a great place. It, the obvious direction is not clear. Most of the videos about how to repair things, build a shed, make this work of art, how Tasmania is, that stuff has just been done. 
but also most of the things that you could do that are sensational and ridiculous that don't involve hurting people, that's also all been done. So what's the plan? There's nowhere more ridiculous to go. It feels like we did the education thing. What's left? Enter long-form content. And I don't think it was just Joe Rogan, but particularly in the late 20-teens, I think a few people started to observe that there's going to be more of an appetite for really thinking through an idea and an audience of 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people who are willing to really unpack an idea over whatever amount of time it takes is going to be far more valuable than an audience of 10 million who will watch a video to see who can keep their hand on a rotting whale carcass the longest for $500,000. And as that has happened, I think what in, in terms of Bible content creators, Christian content creators, is you're seeing some folks trying to do the Mr. Beastification thing with thumbnails where they make ridiculous faces and use impact font and outline themselves looking at a thing. And then you've seen some folks just be like, no, I'm going even more clinical, educational, right to it. And I'm just going to accept my lousier numbers. But then a bunch of other people have just migrated to a different platform altogether and are just doing audio. From an insider perspective, man, it's so much easier to produce. More of the production time goes into thought and reading and writing and preparation. And the back end is super quick. And when you're done, you can just publish it. It's ready to go. I think the podcasting thing is in its moment right now. I think it fits with the spirit of the age in a good way, in a good sense of that term. And I try to have a conversation that is very consistent, very steady, very ongoing for people who are willing to do the very long version of that conversation. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I think so. And and it does make sense of what I've been observing. I think that there is a general aversion or I don't know. I remember when Mr. Beast used to first upload and when it was fresh and it was new, it was like, oh my goodness, I've never seen a concept like this. But at some point, you're right, holding on to the rotting whale car. Was that the example? Yeah, well, rotting I don't whale know if that's carcass. an actual video, but it seemed like something that would happen, right? <laughs> 100%. It's okay, not as exciting anymore. And what I'm seeing is that rather than scaling up, we want to scale down in a certain respect, where the play used to be get as big of an audience as you possibly can. And the reality is there's only so many hours that people can invest their time and attention into it. And every follower becomes less meaningful. It becomes what many people are calling vanity metrics. And so the real measure of success isn't how tall you can build, but how deep you can dig and how thick the roots can grow, which is really good news for any of us that are ministry or mission minded, because ultimately like reaching millions is great. And we want to reach millions if we're given the opportunity to, but what we really get excited about is seeing transformation is being in a person's life in a regular kind of interval and getting to see the Holy Spirit at work and helping them to grow and to learn and to live life new. Yeah, I think there it's trust. You're trying to actually connect with people like people actually connect as opposed to building a reputation that is where people trust that you will amuse them every time. But the problem with that is you have to think of a new way to amuse everyone all the time. Whereas <laughs> if you're coming together and saying, hey, my cleverness really isn't the selling point here. I want to be clever. I want to make it fun. I want to make it energetic. I want you to feel like you've invested your time well. But 
what I appreciate about the podcasting and the, the format that has evolved on my program is I don't feel a lot of pressure. I'm the Bible and I co-host and it does all the heavy lifting. And all I have to do is lead people to the uh, to the obvious questions, the natural things that if you really had time to step back and think about a given book of the Bible, we'd all get there. We'd all eventually ask that question and figure out how to answer it. But with the rush of YouTube, you don't get to do that. And even if you did, and even if you made the best video ever, the algorithm without any malice behind it, it's just machine learning, might just zero your video. And then it doesn't matter anyway, because nobody's ever going to see it. Whereas with podcasting, <clears throat> you have so much more ownership, not of your audience. You never own your audience. They own them. But you have ownership of the connection between you and the audience, the technological means. I own my RSS feed. It's mine. No one can take it from me. It's not outsourced to anyone. That's my little connection of letters and symbols and what it represents. And the reason I guard it like a hawk is because that little thing that I own, it's all my internet friendships. It's everybody I've gone on this huge journey with, and I don't want YouTube to mediate that. YouTube's been very good to me at times. It's been cruel to me at times. I don't think it's ever meant to be either. I don't think it knows or cares that I exist. But what I find is this, Justin, when I deal with YouTube and when I was really deep into it and probably even to an unhealthy degree allowed it to inform my sense of self-worth, like how come my friends can get 10, 12, 20 million subscribers and like all my friends have got at least 3 million subscribers, it seems. Just everybody's killing it. How come I can't figure out how to do that? I'm talking about something better. And you have a little success and you feel like you, you did something that's important and you can feel okay. One goes real bad and you feel terrible for a while. And I don't know what it was, maybe four years ago, five years ago, I was like, I gotta get off of that roller coaster. That is stupid. That is not reflective of my identity in Christ or my value. It's just a, it's dumb. And what I realized was happening was that it's a rival God when you play any kind of algorithm game where your income depends on it, you don't know what the algorithm deity wants. You don't know how to please it, but it's like some kind of pagan volcano God. You still throw yourself at its mercy and you hope, almost pray that it will reward your efforts this time in the service of the actual God. It's just an abusive, weird relationship. But with podcasting, well, you just grind. You connect with people, you try to to make good material every single time you try to show consideration of who's taken the time to be in the room and respect their time and give them value and also be a human together. And you hope that they're eventually there, not because an algorithm said you might like this, but because we do each other and we do care about the same stuff. And if I were to pull up my YouTube metrics, it would be really instructive. We'd all learn a lot looking at a mature YouTube channel's history, and it's very telling about society, not just my channel. But if I were to pull it up, you would see something very mercurial, unpredictable, it's hard to detect patterns. If I showed you the same data from my podcast, what you would see is a steady line that goes up, except for those 42 episodes I did that were a deep dive on the history of the Achaemenid Empire in Persia. That was flat. <laughs> Then when I got done, it started yeah. going up again. Uh, it's so funny because you're like, 
there's this interest that you have. There's two interests, two great interests that I'm aware that you have. One is, of course, of scripture and all things pertaining. And the other is history. For those of you who don't follow those other podcasts, like you, you'll know that's a, a strong connection. But as soon as you get off base off one of those two, or once you get off base, the first interest, they're like, ah, we don't care anymore. And this just, just speaks to the level of depth that people want to go. You went, you're currently pushing almost a thousand episodes on your podcast, uh, the 10 minute Bible hour for, for context. That's not because it's like tens of years. He's doing five podcasts every single week, which is crazy. That's several years consistency. Can you talk to us a little bit about the structure that you have for the podcast and the intentional strategic decisions that you made in formatting it so that you could go deep with people. Because on one hand, I think that the structure is brilliant, but I'm really curious about how you're able to deal with the fact that people will find this show years after you start it and then have to catch up a thousand or more episodes. So there's a lot of levers that you're pulling and things you're keeping in tension. I'd love some insight into that for the purpose of going deep with your audience. Yeah, the podcast must change the older it gets. I mean, we've all heard, everybody who's around media has heard the expression, the medium is the message. There's a very different message when you've got a podcast that has 100 episodes and it's going to tag on maybe 10 more this year than if you have a podcast that has 1,000 episodes and you're going to tag on whatever, 52 times 5, 250, 260 more episodes this year. And what that means is with mine, the proposition keeps changing. I keep altering the deal, so to speak. Now, I've done three seasons. Two are complete. One is not. Season number one was 800 episodes on the dot on the book of Matthew. I, by 50, it was intimidating to onboard with that. My second season is intentionally roughly a 66-episode series, 10 minutes per day. I'm going to try to get the entire coverage of a given book of the Bible in one day and ask weird questions about it. So it doesn't feel like I just read the first page of your study Bible on a given book of the Bible, right? And then we start this new one. Well, lots of people have heard the history of the Roman Empire. They've heard of Julius Caesar and Caesar Augustus and Tiberius. And there's just the Jesus stuff is familiar because of Easter and Christmas and it's Rome. It's the most famous empire ancient empire for sure, ever, maybe ever. Everybody knows stuff about it. Nobody knows anything about Persia. It, most people couldn't tell you when that was, why it mattered, where it fits. It's like this forgotten part of the Bible. So there's no way I could just start treating the book of Esther the way I like to handle a book without first explaining Cyrus, Cambyses, Bardia, Darius the Great, Xerxes, Artaxerxes, the conflict with the Greeks. How do we know any of this? Who is Herodotus? What are the, what's the geography of Persia? What's the governmental style of Persia? And so I couldn't have led with Esther because I didn't have the trust banked with my audience to be like, hey, this is going to feel weird, but I will pay off these 42, these eight weeks of episodes where I walk you through all of this history. And now I think it really is paying off. We're into Esther chapter four. There's the quick overview of the content that I've covered and how you keep that evergreen to speak to your very insightful question, Justin, is you got to cheat. You got to go back and re-edit stuff. So in YouTube, all you can do is remove. There's only negative adjustments on YouTube. So if you say something stupid or dumb or something that wasn't offensive in 2016, but now 
If you said that on the internet, someone will eventually find it. You just can't think that right now. You'll be able to think it again in two years. You just can't think it now. You can just go and cut it. And it's an ugly cut in the YouTube creator suite, but you can go in and just more or less snip a thing and it goes away and nobody knows any different. I don't really use that feature very much. With podcasting, as long as the file has the exact same name, you can just change anything. Any, you can upload a whole new file to cover an episode from five years ago that has the exact same name. For example, if I run ads, and I don't do it very often, but when I do, those are on a 90-day contract. And after 90 days, I don't run right back out and clip it out of my episode, but it's not relevant anymore. The links aren't live. The promotion isn't still going. So eventually I get a day and I go and I just download those files I do a quick re-edit and export, and I just replace the files so that the people who are hitting the back catalog can get a very streamlined treatment of everything. Also, a daily podcast, again, the medium is the message, a daily podcast that is meant to feel like a drive-time radio show, but where we go ludicrously deep into history and the Bible while also joking around and being idiots and having fun, that's going to have certain things that... Mm, seemed pretty universal when I said it five years later. Yeah, it didn't turn out to be as universal or eternal <laughs> a thing as that what I thought. So I'll cut out that example here or there. And the other thing is on a daily show, people forget you got to do a little bit of a reset. I try to make the resets fresh and interesting and sneak them in, in unique ways. But if you're binging and listening back to back, that isn't fun. I try to go back and clean up that back catalog every so often. There really is a, a shocking amount of maintenance, which is always growing the longer the podcast goes, but it's worth it. It's worth the time and the effort, especially when you consider that easily half of the daily downloads are back catalog and only half at most are ever current episode. So yeah, you got to be cognizant of what it's like to get this right now as it's happening and also what it's like to get this five years from now when somebody decides to binge it so you have the opportunity to be in the in-between of their ears you get to be in someone's brain for 10 minutes five times a week it's crazy i think that i'm guessing at some point you have people that say something to you about how that impacts their life yeah oh, what yeah. How do you how do you know when you're hitting it on the mark? Because especially early on when you first start a podcast, it's did I hit upload binary? Yes, no, that's success. And that's probably for the first year or more, several years, that's how you measure success. But at some points, you get a little bit more color. You get a little bit more context. And I guess for me, I'm wondering, how do you know when you've hit the nail on the head? What are the types of responses that you're really hoping to hear more of? One of the interesting things about the social contract that I've made on this podcast is it's in the tagline. It's the Bible without the sermon. Unless a given text has Jesus or Paul or whomever being like, listen up, this is what I want for your life. I don't extrapolate that out. I have 10 minutes. So I don't do the typical, here's your exegesis part. And now the part where we talk about the nuts and bolts of the passage, the history, etc. Okay, now we're going to move on to the hermeneutics part. What does it mean? How does this fit within the theological structures? And now into the application. What should you do? Who are the Goliaths in your life? I don't, we don't do any of that. 
<clears throat> really close to none. If it comes up in the course of just chit chat and conversation, cool. But part of the novelty of, of my podcast is that it is overtly historical Protestant Orthodox Christian in its perspective. But I just stop short of the, here's what you need to do. And, and again, the medium is the message. What am I trying to communicate there? I don't think you need my dumb opinions. I think the text is sharper than a double-edged sword. I think it's useful for all of that list of stuff, teaching, correcting, all of that. It's just, it's amazing. It's alive. God's spirit, the Holy Spirit is behind it in the first place and is behind it now. And so I'm, I'm trying to do a Bible flex, not of my knowledge of it. That's not particularly impressive, but of the, the supernatural presence of God in this ancient document. And my thinking is, if you hear it, if you're around it, if you mull it over and reflect on it every day, deeply as part of your rhythm, <clears throat> you're going to change. That's what it does to me. So my favorite thing in direct answer to your question, Justin, is not when I get I love, of course, who doesn't want to hear nice messages? That was so funny. It was good. I like the music. I loved the way you turned this phrase. That's flattering. That's really kind. But my favorite thing is through exposure to the Bible, I grew in this way. I discovered this thing. God worked in my life through Matthew 25. That's just awesome because that is sustainable, brother. If somebody has a relationship with God mediated by me, my sense of humor, my read on culture, <clears throat> whatever. I don't know. What if like, What if I just butcher things or have some crisis or do something stupid? I don't think I'm gonna, but I don't know. I, mean, I might. I'm not above doing stupid things. Well, now all of a sudden, all I did was facilitate. It just doesn't matter quite as much as it would if I built the whole thing as a vanity project for people to need me to understand and access God. When I get feedback that says the podcast was a big help, but really God and the Bible and the Holy Spirit are doing things in my life. Sweet. That means it's working because I didn't tell you what to do at all. So yeah, that's from God. I, I love that perspective. And I'm going to imagine that that was a paradigm shift for you because we haven't mentioned it so far on the story, but you used to be a real pastor, not just an <laughs> internet pastor. <laughs> yeah, man. For a long that, time. That, that's my line. When, when people are like, what, what do you do for a living? And I, I try to describe what I do. Oh, so you're a pastor. No, I'm not a pastor. I just play one on the internet. I promise. I'm not a real pastor. You were a real pastor at some point and you were trained in so many ways to get to the, this is what you do with the text thing now. And you had to have a paradigm shift to get to the point where it's because it, this is the hesitation that I hear from a lot of pastors who are conceiving of the idea of their online ministry. They don't want to be the person. And I'm like, bro, you stand on a stage every week, like to some level, you're comfortable with being the person. But what I'm hearing from you is that there is a very meaningful sense in which that's not the attempt and you're organizing everything from a branding perspective and the organization of your show to your explicit goals for you to get out of the way so that Jesus could increase. Yeah. And, and for the most part, we're not going to hang out together. I can't be your pastor. That There's this central theological motif in Christianity, unlike any other religion, and it is incarnation. The Word of God is a combination of human authors and 
the inspiration, the infallible, reliable inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He didn't have to do it that way. Don't Muslims more or less believe that the angel took the prophet by the scruff of the neck and was like, write this, now this. I don't know if I'm perfectly representing all the theological uh, nuance of, of how they view the inspiration or where Scripture came from, but I know that's not what we believe. It's incarnational. God took on flesh. The whole thing hinges on that. Whether you believe it to be literal or symbolic, we eat that. Sounds weird and gross when you say it that way, but he ordained it. We, we eat that to commemorate the, the incarnation, to commemorate that the incarnation ran all the way through to, as it talks about in Philippians 2, Christ humbling himself even to death on a cross. And I, I'm nobody's pastor, dude. That's just the truth of the matter. I can't even pretend to be. You go around, you connect with people in person, you're pounding pavement harder than I am. But literally, man, I, I'm in a basement with a Mandalorian poster behind me. I got my laundry room right through that door. And then the next door over, I got a microphone. It's a mess. I got books and Bibles and stuff stacked up. I got a fish on the wall and one that I keep meaning to put on the wall. It just lives on the floor right now. It's not an actual, they're taxidermed, but it's just some guy in a basement. And I think one of the mistakes that I see people make is they try to act like they're somebody's pastor when they're not. If you are not in someone's life and you are not customizing how you communicate and the feedback that you're offering and the shepherding that you're offering to who they are and what they need, and then aligning that with the immovability of Scripture, then you might be serving people really well and doing something really important. I'd like to think I do, but I'm no one's pastor, and I'm absolutely ill-suited from my positioning to replace even the pastor of the most modest of churches, even the pastor with the most modest of training. He's still there. He's still showing up. And that's why anyone who's willing to do that right now is my hero, because if, I mean, what's the, the Kantian uh, ethical mean, his moral test for is something moral or not, was hmm. if everybody mm -hmm. did it, would it work? If everybody did what I do, this thing breaks. It doesn't work. If everybody does what even the most humble and modest of pastors does, it actually works. It's That's a royal priesthood. That's a nation of priests out serving each other incarnationally with the gospel. So I'm meant to help. I'm meant to connect with the person who's trying to make the Bible part of their daily rhythm in the service of their actual feet on the ground Christian presence, and meant to serve and help people who've been around church and it didn't go great, or they're banged up over it, and they think there's something to it, but they don't know what to do with it right now. I would love to help with that. I am here to be a resource because not everybody has time <clears throat> to sit around and read the books and do the work and go to school for it because they're doing something else that's awesome and important. Cool. I'll go to school for that. I'll do the work and then I'll try to explain it in such a way where the point isn't to try to flex my imaginary muscles about how much I know, but instead the point is say this in a way that all normal people can get so that we can all go deeper into the text and then that becomes incarnational in people's lives. Yeah, there's a lot of hand-wringing, to your point, Justin, about people who feel like they have to have some kind of internet presence or you're not doing ministry right. Man, I, I don't believe that for a second. I, I think it does not make sense for most people to do any kind of media stuff on the internet. It changes you. It's 
you're firing the bullet that is your face and your name, you don't really get to fire that more than once. No, I, I think people should be very circumspect with running out onto the internet and feeling like they need to publish a bunch of stuff. Go pastor, go serve people in person. And if the other stuff makes sense, maybe, but this is overrated. Being boots on the ground, Christ in people's lives, that's actually ordained and blessed by God. We know there's power in that. That's powerful. Here's something that I really appreciate about Matt's approach. It's an approach that I'm not sure that I've seen many times before. Matt trusts that the Holy Spirit is the one that does the interpretive work of application. That is to say that Matt respects his audience so much that he chooses not to tell them what they need to do with this information, which I think is difficult for many of us. It requires self-control. We all have convictions and we all have biases as we approach the text and to be willing to lay these things down and just trust that the Holy Spirit is on the other end of this content creation thing is, in my perspective, admirable. Next week, we're going to pick up this conversation with Matt's thoughts on what separates good Christian podcasts from the bad ones. See you then. Special thanks to our partner for this episode, the Adventist Learning Community. In an attempt to equip the next generation of digital missionaries, we are giving away four hours worth of training to listeners of this podcast. To get it for free, all you have to do is send me an email at hello at justinku.com. 